I don't want you dozing off. I'm not tired. Are you kidding? Go another hundred miles. Come on. No problem. Stay at home. I saw an opportunity to play a Chevy Chase clip that remotely connected with the message, so I took it. Don't judge me. We just saw it there. Yes, this morning we are uh, talking about um, falling asleep and becoming awake or alive. Um, have you, when was the last time you fell asleep in public? Do you remember that time? There's some embarrassing moments. Some of you are fading right now. No, 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 I'm just, I'm just kidding. One of my favorite uh, moments of falling asleep in public was with my good friend Brent in high school in economics class, and he sat front and center in our high school economics class, and Mr. Mahalik despised people falling asleep in his class. And so part of the entertainment for me, I was right behind my friend Brent, and I would see him struggling to stay awake during the class and finally just melt into his desk. And then Mr. Mahalik, without uh, pausing or, or acknowledging that Brent had fallen asleep, he would continue to lecture, not pausing. He'd go to the large chalkboard. Remember, this is several years ago. So he'd have a large uh, chalkboard eraser there, one of those big ones. He would continue lecturing, walk in front of Brent's desk, and he would bring the eraser down on Brent's head and all the chalk dust would fill. Mr. Mahalik would not pause lecturing. He would continue to lecture, and then Brent would come awake, and then he'd go like this, and then this huge plume of chalk dust would arise all while the lecture was going. That was my favorite memory of falling asleep. Now, of course, we're not talking about physical sleep or slumber. We're talking about spiritual sleep or slumber. In different places in the epistle, the apostle Paul says, wake up, wake up. 
Now, he's not assuming that they're falling asleep during the reading of his letter. He's applying that spiritually, and he's saying, are you, is there a chance that you are in a spiritual slumber, and you're missing all that God has for you? For example, Romans 13, we have that verse for you. Says, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up. Look at your neighbor and go, hey, wake up. Go ahead, right? That's right. He's preaching, wake up. He says, wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. That's a way we can be sleeping in slumber if we're just living from the flesh, not the spirit. And put on the armor of life. He's saying, now is the time to be fully alive in Christ. For what Christ has done, the age in which we live now, you can live this beautiful, abundant life in Christ and for Christ. And yet some of us are sleeping. Some of us are hitting that snooze button again and again and again, and we're missing what God has for us. Some of us in our spiritual lives, we look like my friend Brent, who could not stay away, or we look like Clark Griswold. We're asleep at the wheel of life, and we're missing. We, we need to awaken to the things of God in our lives right here, right now. Would you turn with me to the gospel of Mark? If you've brought your Bibles, wonderful. I want to encourage you to, to bring your own Bibles so you can highlight, circle, underline. There are some Bibles located in the seats in front of you. If you've not brought them, pull that out. And we're going to be looking at chapter 14, starting at verse 32. A familiar story for many of us as we uh, walk through Passion Week, it's the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, um, the disciples are literally, physically, the apostles, they're falling asleep. And Jesus asks several questions. One of them, are you still asleep? Yes, the initial context is a, a physical sleep, but I do believe that Christ in these passages, in this question of Jesus, is just as pertinent for his church today as it was back then. And he wants to ask you and me and his church, are we still asleep? When will we wake up? Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 32, says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Most scholars believe that it was simply relational. He Jesus was in this most difficult moment in his life when he was going to have to face tremendous agony physically and spiritually 
forsakenness from the Father, and he wants his friends close. He, he wants me. We can relate to that, right? When we're struggling in our deepest moments, we want the people that love us the most, care of us. He, he invites Peter and James and John. Jesus says, verse 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping as their eyes were heavy, they did not know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. It is so easy to look back in judgment on the inner three, guys, what, wait, come on, this was, this was Jesus' most painful and moment where he's struggling and wrestling. How could you fall asleep three times? Couldn't you keep watch? Couldn't you be praying? Couldn't you? So easy to look back with judgment, and yet I think personally so many of us Christ is inviting us to be fully alive, fully awake right now, and we keep slumbering, we keep falling, and he's saying to his church, and he's saying to us, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for an hour? Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, enough. It's hard not to imagine that Jesus wants to ask this of us today. My mom, one of her favorite preachers, she used to get little cassette tapes of Pastor Bob Mumford. And, uh, and she would tell me about some of his messages. And one of the ones I remember more poignantly than any other was one entitled, Asleep in the Light. Asleep in the Light. He was saying we have all the blessings of God. We have access to the throne of God, to the one true living God, and yet we are not engaging. We are not entering the throne room of the Father and walking with him. We have this new life that is open to us that we get to live in different ways. We get to live in different rhythms. And so often we're asleep because we simply remain in the old way of living that looks a lot 
like the culture around us. Some of us are enjoying the benefits of faith and salvation and the promise and the hope of eternal life. We're enjoying that, engaging that, and yet we are not sharing that with a lost and broken world. We're asleep to God's purposes and plans in this world. So how do we decide if we're asleep or in particular areas that we are in spiritual slumber? I came across a Outreach Magazine. They had nine signs of spiritual narcolepsy. <laughs> now, I'm not going to read all nine, but many of them are really good. I'm just going to read uh, some of them. One sign is if we talk about Jesus but aren't genuinely experiencing him. We might be sleeping. He's distant and unreal in our everyday life. He's someone we talk about more than we talk with. Number two, we haven't experienced much authentic change in our life in a long while, though we've been faithfully doing all the right things. We're living into the rituals, but we're really not seeing transformation of mind and heart and life. If that's true of us, we might be sleeping. We are more concerned about the role God is playing in our plans than the role we should be playing in his plans. Yeeks? We might be sleeping, if that's true of us. We seldom really consider the eternal condition of the people around us. That's kind of a hard one, right? We're living spiritually unnoticed. Finally, we might be sleeping if we don't feel like we have a problem with being asleep in the light. All those might be indications in different areas of our lives that we could be asleep. Maybe different levels of consciousness, right? Are we conscious? Are we aware? Are we alive to all these things again? I think really in this passage, there's an indication of how Jesus remains fully alive to the Father and to the needs of this world. And so if some of us are struggling in these different areas, how do we step, how do we move from our spiritual narcolepsy or sleep and slumber and move to that place that we are spiritually alive? I think Jesus models some of that alive life with God. Look at verse uh, 35 says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And he prayed, Abba, Father. What Jesus does throughout his life and ministry and, and models in this moment here is that he walks in this personal, intimate relationship with the Father. He engages. We see this not just in this moment of Gethsemane, but all through that ministry. And, and his purpose in doing that isn't so, friends, we just go, wow, that's awesome that Jesus had this great relationship with the Father. That's good. That's valuable. We want to see that. But do you know what else? He does that as a model 
to you and I. That we have been given, this is crucial to the gospel, we've been given this access that we get to not just believe the right things, but we get to engage with the Father and the Son through the Spirit in this intimate relationship with Him. In fact, that, that prayer, that what his, his title for God is, he says, Abba, Father. Is that just a title that Jesus gets to use because he's the only begotten son of God? Or do we get to use that title? We get to use that title. Absolutely. The apostle Paul later, he says this, using that phrase. He says, the spirit, the Holy Spirit you received brought you uh, brought about your adoption to sonship he says when you confess christ when you receive the holy spirit in your heart and soul you moved into this moment of becoming a ch- child of god a son a daughter of the living king and that because of that that changes the relationship the intimacy that we get to have with the father he goes uh, on and he says and by him we cry what? Abba Father. That sounds familiar. Do you see that? The Spirit of God wants to work that relationship. He says the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are God's children and we get to live and relate with the Father as his children. We have access there. Some of us struggle with that. We can worship God as God Almighty. Do you ever worship him as Abba? Abba is an Aramaic term. It's a very, it was used in families between a a small child would say Abba, Dad. That's the best translation we have. Abba, Dad. Do you pray? Do you seek him in that way? The best illustration I could think of was my relationship with my earthly father. My earthly father was a, a wonderful man, a hard worker, a man of integrity. He was a counselor. He worked a lot of nights and on Saturdays. And he was an intellectual. And because of that, I don't think that he really enjoyed at all engaging in uh, like throwing a baseball back and forth or a football or shooting baskets, right? So I would ask him, to do those kind of things, and he just didn't engage in those ways. I remember in high school, I wanted to learn uh, how to play chess, and he would not play with me. I got a book, and I taught myself, and and I I still remember my mom saying, Alan, would you play chess with him for crying out loud? Because I, Dad, come on, just play a little bit. And He wouldn't. He wouldn't engage. And there's this, this distance there. I knew he loved me. I knew he was providing for me. I knew he cared for me, but there's this this distance there. And then I I went to college and I started to wrestle with some deeper things in life about things of faith and God and morality, integrity, and what I wanted to do. And I, my parents, we used to talk on a Sunday evening at college and those moments he started to engage those moments he, he, he really started to give wisdom and counsel. He even started to write me some letters, that, like old school, like on a piece of paper with pen, 
like in an envelope and send it there. I still have some of those letters. He, in fact, even sent me this book on theology and said, Eric, this has kind of really addressed me. And I was like, who is this? What, what's happening here? So much so when he passed away, way too early at age 65, still today, I miss his wise counsel his wisdom in my life, that I would be able to talk about the most important things of life. I still miss that today. That's a long way from, Dad, would you play chess with me for crying out loud? To having this engagement on him. Friends, I think some of us are still in that pre-college that, that we know God we consider ourselves Christians, and yet that engagement, we're not inviting his voice. And he always wants to play chess with us, if you know what I mean. He always wants to engage. He wants us. He's waiting to speak into the most important things. He's waiting. He's longing for that intimate relationship. He's longing for you to say, Abba, Father. And pray that way. The psalmist said it like this. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. That was his prayer. His worship. His singing. All of that flowed from this soul that is awake to God. This intimate relationship with God. That's how it is supposed to be. Friends, if we come and we're rather than awakening our soul to the Father, we're evaluating whether we like that song or are we gonna sing here or that. Perhaps we're sleeping right in the middle when you're singing out, you're, you're, you're sleeping, you're, you're missing this vibrant life in God. Another way Jesus models a life that is alive and awake. Look at verse 36. We started it. Verse 36, he says, Abba, Father. And then he says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's easy, friends, to, to get lost in that uh, you know, how does Jesus have a different will and so forth? But I, I think we're missing something crucial here often is that Jesus was living his entire life in the will of the Father. That he could even have some, a divergent will, don't know how that all works out and, and there's mystery there. And yet the main thing is that he saw and recognized the work and the will of God the Father and he linked his life to his will and kingdom. Let me ask this question, get at it this way. Friends, are you seeing and recognizing the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God at work in your life and around you? Are you 
seeing it. Yes, he, he says uh, in John 3, 3 to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The kingdom of God is spiritual. So he's talking about spiritual discernment of seeing the kingdom. And he's saying, do you see that? You won't be able to see it without the Holy Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit, are you seeing the work of the kingdom in your life, in the people around you, and in this world? Jesus saw this world through a lens of the kingdom of God. He saw it and he recognized when the kingdom of darkness was at work. And he recognized when the kingdom of light was at work. And he recognized God's plans, his purposes, his will as he looked at through that lens of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. He models that for you and me and he wants you and I to see the kingdom, the fruit of the kingdom. Might be confusing or vague. So let me give you some picture here of the not yet kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, the absence of the kingdom of heaven. It's the wife weeping because of her broken marriage. It's when the kingdom of darkness is working in that sacred relationship. Do you see it as such? The young man in pain because he's lonely. He feels far from God, far from hope, far from purpose. And he's contemplating taking his life. Do you see the kingdom of darkness at work? It's the child, hungry, dirty, neglected, feeling lost and unloved. It's the woman wrapped in injustice and in cold, dark control. All of that is the kingdom of darkness and it is around us and yet we are sleeping to the needs of the people around us. And he's saying, would you wake up to those needs? Would you wake up? Because God has plans and purposes in those moments. He wants to see his kingdom come and his will be done in those moments. You know, that's why he connects kingdom in the prayer that he taught us to pray. He connects kingdom with choosing God's will. You, can, you know it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Say that next part with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, yes, pray that and lean into that, that you are get to be the agent of the kingdom along with the Holy Spirit, that you can step into those broken moments and fight for healing and restoration and justice. Don't be asleep to those moments because God is wanting to invite you into those moments of healing and restoration and comfort and compassion and salvation. There's a famous artist, some of you will know, Keith Green. He died way too early and um, he uh, 
and especially the 1970s, he would have these songs. We're going to play a short clip, not the full one, uh, but uh, just about a minute or so. He has a song called Asleep in the Light. And it's a very, very challenging song. And just let's play just about maybe even 30 seconds of that song. So I love how, uh, how the people in the congregation, they're like, ooh, that's my favorite song. And then it's a song about how horrible we are as Christians, right? Right? Essentially, he is saying what Paul is saying, what Jesus is asking. He's saying, are, are you awake? How can you be so numb, do you, do you stop? Are, are we so focused on our will, our agenda, our to-do list that we're living, our kids, our family, our career, our stuff, that we're not asking that question? What is God's will in this moment? And what is he inviting me to do? At the end of the song, he says, Jesus rose from the grave and you can't even get out of bed. <laughs> How do we get out of bed? Are we missing? Finally, look at verse eight, uh, 38. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's talking about being awakened to the spiritual life. In fact, that, that phrase is probably from Psalm 51, 12, and that is a psalm of King David when he fell with Bathsheba and he was confronted, and this is a psalm of confession and praying for restoration. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit that will sustain me. He's actually praying for his own spirit here. You see, David was confessing he had lived fleshly. He had lived and chosen adultery, deception, lying, and ultimately murder. David is a poignant example of falling asleep at the wheel, falling asleep spiritually. He was a man after God's own heart, this incredible personal relationship with God. He was the king of God's people. He was leading God's purposes and plans in powerful ways. He was living in integrity, even leading worship, leading on the battlefield, leading on worship, and yet somewhere along the line, David, he fell asleep he was sleeping and then when 
the possibility of sin came, he stepped into it fully and completely. Friends, some of us are sleepwalking. Some of us are living in brokenness and pain and it's pulling us from a life that is fully alive in Jesus Christ. Paul says you essentially have a choice of how you will live your life. There's not three, there's two. He says in Galatians 5, 16, live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. He's saying you have a choice to make. You can live a spiritual life. The spirit of God has filled your soul, has touched your spirit, given life to your spirit. You can live with this living spirit, and that is waking up to this vibrant life that God has to you you can make another choice you can live by the flesh you can live into you know the lists that are there greed or materialism or lust or gossip judgmentalism legalism all of those things are ways of the flesh not the life that Jesus died for us to have. Not the life that the Father longs for us to have. I'll leave you with this. The, in Ephesians, Paul probably quotes a hymn or a sacred song that was in the early church. We don't know for sure, but probably it went like this. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine in you. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine in you. On you, through you, fill you up his glory to the life that is truly life. Let's pray. We just have a little few moments just between you and the Holy Spirit. Don't think about anyone else in this room. Would you think about your own soul? Is there an area in life that you just know that the Spirit's been talking to you all morning. You're asleep. Maybe it's in this intimate relationship with the Father and you long for that. Stop hitting the snooze button in that personal relationship. Be like Jesus. Grab some time. Go Go to contemplation point. Go to a closet. Go to sit in your car for a few moments. Pause before you go to work. Sit on a couch. Turn the stupid phone off. 
and engage with his presence. He's, he's inviting you into that. Maybe if you, uh, speaking of stupid phones, that's a perfect example. Turn that stupid phone off because the Spirit of God wants to speak to you. Perhaps you look over your last week and it's been completely your agenda, your plans and your purposes. Maybe this Memorial Day, you're going to be with friends and family and, and some of them are really annoying and you would prefer not. And yet they're far from God. Someone's playing with me. I don't know who it is, but someone is playing with me. finally maybe this is the time that you step away from that sin that that struggle that has just got you off you are like David You, you you've known you've walked there's been intimacy there's been purpose there you were on you were living into your first love something is distracting just give that to him this morning allow him to take that he wants the good life for you he wants the beautiful life he wants this kingdom life for you he is for you and with you and he will empower you to live well